Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Welcome again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by usbets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, U.S. Bets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist John Brennan. And I have to be honest, John, I didn't expect you to be here on the podcast today. I figured after you won that $1.6 billion in the lottery this week, you'd be on a beach in Bora Bora. But uh, good for you. Still working. I, I admire your sense of duty. <laughs> uh, Eric, uh, I broke even on that uh, again. Yeah, the uh, lot of, lottery is a tax on people uh, who are bad at math, as a wise man once said. Uh, yeah, yeah that's, all I'll, that's all I'll say for now. <laughs> so so uh, by break even, you mean you did not buy a ticket? I did not. Okay. All right. I wasn't sure if maybe it was one of those things where you exactly got your money back. But, uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the, the shortest possible route to breaking even. I like it. So thank you to everybody out there for joining us for episode number 12. Uh, unfortunately, neither John nor I did win the lottery uh, since last time. So we are back with another podcast. If you missed any of our previous 11 episodes, you can find them on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And if you aren't already subscribed to the show, uh, we highly recommend you do that. It's the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. Yeah, and Eric, uh, later in the show, we'll be joined by our first two-time guest, our colleague in U.S. Bets CEO, Adam Small. Uh, he's going to share some sordid tales, we hope they're sordid, about living in Costa Rica, and will offer his insights uh, on a serious note on the mysterious possible murder of the owner of Five Dimes. Uh, but first, on a lighter note, much lighter, uh, we have a busy news week to talk about, so let's start the show. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling. Our first story of the week, a very mainstream story, uh, one that went far beyond our little hardcore gambling community, and we already touched on this briefly there at the top of the show, but the Mega Millions lottery jackpot grew to more than $1.5 billion this week, and there was reportedly one winning ticket sold uh, in South Carolina. A couple of clarifications. Uh, First, despite projections that the jackpot would be an all-time record, it actually came up just short of the Powerball record set in 2016. Uh, Second, if the winner takes the lump sum payment, uh, it's 
only worth about $878 million, which, uh, geez, what, what can you afford to buy with that? Um, so, uh, John, you already revealed that uh, you did not blow any of your own personal money on the worst odds in gambling. Uh, so that's, that's good news. Uh, what thoughts do you have uh, on this story and, and all the attention that it got this week? Yeah, you know, more than a dozen years ago, I, I was covering a lot of stories uh, that had to do with uh, uh, the lottery and other types of gambling. And there were a cluster of massive winners in New Jersey, hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I, I did quite a few stories. And in the process of my reporting, I, I bought my only lottery ticket. And I happened upon the drawing that night. And I had my ticket in front of me. And I looked at it and stared as the numbers were drawn. And I felt like the biggest rube in the world. <laughs> and that was that. But I, I will say to uh, undo some of my curmudgeon status, um, I also interviewed uh, some university mathematics professors about the lottery, and uh, none of them had ever bought a ticket, perhaps not surprising. They're university <laughs> mathematics professors. But uh, a Princeton professor really struck me. He said he had kind of a formula that he said showed that buying a, a ticket uh, typically is profitable for the average person. Uh, his point was that in buying the ticket, you get to join in the lunchtime talk at work about what you would do with the money. And that discussion is pleasing to you and socializing is good, presumably gives you a, maybe a small lowering of your blood pressure. And then you come home and you tell the spouse and the funniest comments from the conversation and you each laugh and there's a little value in that too. It gets you a little closer. So uh, he kind of convinced me that uh, while the odds of winning the actual prize is not good to say the least right. uh it's not necessarily an irrational effort hmm. interesting uh that is uh, quite a spin to put on it to, to uh, quite a winding road to get around to figuring <laughs> out uh where the value is in the lottery uh i don't know it, it feels like a reach to me um <laughs> I, I i don't play the lottery it just doesn't appeal to me and neither do slots really I just I just happen to prefer forms of gambling in which I feel like I'm making some decisions and playing a game and not leaving it all up to chance. Um, but, you know, for those who do enjoy taking a shot in the lottery, fine, go for it uh, if that's your thing. Uh, however, and I'm stating the obvious here, but it is preposterous that lottery is legal in almost every state and people consider it socially acceptable and other forms of gambling are not legal everywhere. And you're looked down upon by some people if you tell them you sports bet or, or play poker or anything like that. Um, I think the more places in which gambling becomes legal, the more the stigma is going away. But it's just such hypocrisy that uh, that. You know, people don't feel compelled to keep so-called problem gamblers away from the lottery when the reality is that uh, they have a better expected ROI on just about any other form of gambling. Well, at one point back in the early days of the lottery before your time of the modern lottery anyway, um, people tended to make their own selections. They picked the numbers and some people still hmm. do. Right. And then it was an option of, you know, you can just have an auto uh uh, an auto, auto selection and the percentage of auto selection started out very low and it grew and grew and grew. And now if you're waiting in line at a convenience store and somebody's actually picking out the numbers, it's sort of annoying. So right. <laughs> the illusion is gone, I guess, for most of those people. They realize it doesn't matter what the numbers are. You're not going to, you're probably not going to win. And if you do, you might win by the auto numbers and not by your own numbers. <laughs> you know, that just reminded me of, uh, of an old episode of Webster from when I was a kid. How often uh, do you get a, an old episode of Webster reference on a podcast? <laughs> but uh, I remember that the Webster and his uh, adoptive parents entered the lottery and they used their, like their birthdays and their ages uh, to come up with to select their own numbers 
And then they would have won the lottery, except Webster's uh, adoptive mom lied about her age. So she had the wrong number in there. So they did not win the lottery. They were off by a few digits on that one. Yeah, I think that's called a bad beat. (laughs) (laughs) I think so. Um, And just by the way, before we move on to the next story, I want to point out a a great line from our newest colleague, Brian Pempis, in his uh, Mega Millions story early in the week. Uh, He wrote, as the Daily Beast pointed out, Dying from a vending machine accident is close to three times more likely than winning the Mega Millions. Uh, so I, th- I think maybe my days of buying food from vending machines are over. Yeah, might be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving on now to story number two. Uh, we were all taught in grade school about plagiarism, about how you can't just copy someone else's work. Well, it seems someone at FanDuel skipped that day of class. Uh, William Hill filed a lawsuit on Tuesday accusing FanDuel of copying their How to Bet guide that was posted online and distributed at William Hill's land-based New Jersey sports books at Monmouth Park and Ocean Resort. And as you wrote, John, this is about as open and shut a case as we'll ever see. Uh, The proof is right there. The wording is the same in much of FanDuel's How to Bet guide, and they even forgot to remove the name William Hill in one spot. Talk about a smoking gun. Uh, as long as uh, as long as they don't ask FanDuel to try on the gloves, uh, I don't see how William Hill loses this case. Uh, now, John, you, you had some sharp insights in your article that went up on U.S. Bets this morning. So uh, what do you make of all this? Why didn't William Hill seek to settle this quietly behind the scenes? And what the hell is going on at FanDuel that something this sloppy could happen? Uh, I'm kind of in awe of the story, honestly. Uh, you know, as a newspaper journalist for almost 35 years, you know, I've had to endure various uh, obvious ripoffs, which only amplified in the internet age, frankly. Yeah. Uh, but usually, either the story was extensively rewritten, or at least my story was referenced and linked. Here, you're looking at FanDuel Guide that, as you mentioned, it it has the exact same wording. I mean, the most egregious part is William Hill name being mentioned <laughs> in the FanDuel in the FanDuel Guide. But but even you know the the basics of how to bet are fairly similar. I mean, you 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 can have language that isn't that far off right. and and get, probably get away with it, but um, uh, to your, your latter point, um, I don't think William Hill uh, and some other rivals were, were thrilled that the, the Delhi Fantasy Sports companies, FanDuel and, and DraftKings, they got an unexpected free pass from the App Store bureaucrats. Uh, basically, because of their DFS experience, uh, they got a free pass right right in. You know, As soon as they wanted to offer sports betting, they could uh, online. And then other rivals like William Hill had to wait in most cases, more than a month to, to get going. Uh, that's not only a lost month, but that could last for years because the, uh, you have new customers who are getting used to, uh, a perfectly good app and in the two of them, uh, and they may not want to switch over to say William Hill. And, uh, so, uh, I, could speculate that that may have something to do with why uh, William Hill is in, in turn, uh, you know, being willing to let the fan duel out to dry here. Yeah, I, I think that's certainly a good possibility as to what's uh, going on. Um, and of course, you know, you can't talk about uh, a FanDuel PR hit without talking about what happened to them uh, several weeks ago with the, the Broncos Raiders line controversy. But to me, that that was a case of accidents happen. Um this, this is more serious to me. This indicates possibly a real problem within the company, a, a lack of oversight somewhere. And, you know, I don't advocate for anyone to lose their jobs typically, but I just feel like it wouldn't be surprising at all if, if a couple of heads rolled over this. Uh, you know, we go back to that mention of William Hill. Everything else, I can see a supervisor or a secondary person reading through and saying, yeah, this is accurate. The words are spelled right. This is how bets are made. And right. We'll go with it. But 
they, somebody had to look and say, wait, why is the word William Hill in, in our guide? That That is the most inexplicable part for me by far. <laughs> yes. As a, as a professional editor for 21 years, my uh, my editorial uh, side of me is deeply offended that uh, th- that this happened. Rightly so. (laughs) Okay, for our third and final story this week, uh, I had the pleasure of breaking a little news this week. I took a trip to Parks Casino in Ben Salem, Pennsylvania on Tuesday, where I met with Senior Vice President of Sports and Interactive Matt Cullen. I got a tour of the temporary sports book under construction, and Matt gave me the scoop on all of their plans and timelines. The temporary sports book, uh, set up in the middle of the casino floor in the 360 lounge, is due to open in a little over a month, uh, either at the end of November or the beginning of December. The permanent sports book, which Cullen revealed will be a $10 million undertaking, uh, will be ready around April, maybe March, if all goes very smoothly, and their online operation should be up and running in January or February. So lots to look forward to, especially for me, living about a 20-minute drive from Parks. And here's one more detail that Matt shared. Parks is planning to launch online betting in New Jersey as well, since about a third of their customers come in from Jersey. Uh, so, John, you've made many trips to the New Jersey sports books. Uh, thoughts on all of these goings on across the state border at Parks? Well, the most interesting thing to me is that they're working so hard to get the temporary site ready for the Eagles title repeat stretch run, which... <laughs> As you know, may not happen. Three and four. <laughs> right, right. Uh, if I was Matt, I would be rooting very, very hard for these Eagles. <laughs> yep. No, that's that's certainly one thing that uh, <laughs> the the timing is probably not what they dreamed it would be. Uh, but with that said, the NFC East is weak enough that it's hard to imagine the Eagles being out of the hunt uh, by the end of November. Maybe not in the driver's seat, but but still in the hunt probably. I may have some insight on that on my picks later, but uh, <laughs> okay. Meanwhile, I, one other thing I want to mention is the. Uh, it was intriguing that Matt mentioned that the ten million dollar licensing fee is 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 brutal, but uh, he noted that it also does weed out lesser competitors. You know, they they just feel like, well, we can't we can't get in the game now, and that that could prove beneficial. He's looking optimistically. And the other thing is, I, I've written about this, but you know, if you're a Pennsylvania taxpayer, you're thinking, wow, if we can get 13 licensees, a maximum, to pony up a total of $130 million, then good for the regulators. That's that's money in our, in our pocket. Now, we've only got, I think, five so far, and so we're not sure if this is going to be a win or a loss for the state. But uh, speaking outside of the industry for a minute, uh, taxpayers aren't necessarily mad to see what these numbers are. Right. No, I, absolutely. That's that's a good point. And yeah, what what you pointed out about what Matt said about the high barrier to entry was one of the things that, that really caught my attention. I just hadn't really thought of it that way. But uh, yeah, it, it will somewhat perhaps limit the amount of competition that, that Parks is up against uh, when they do get up and running, which, uh, again, is uh, creeping up on us right around the corner here now. It, uh, it was sort of one of those things that for the past uh, really couple of years I, I've been talking about, well, when Pennsylvania goes live, when Pennsylvania passes laws, when, uh, you know, online uh, gaming gets started in Pennsylvania, uh, it's actually getting close to becoming a reality finally. Uh, the state even dragged its feet on actual casinos coming in in the in mid-2000s. So uh, right. they have a history of this, but eventually they get what they want. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble On interview.
He made history a few months ago when he became the first guest ever on Gamble On, and now he's making history again as our first two-time guest. Uh, But today's interview will be a good bit darker, I think, than the first one. Uh, Adam Small is the CEO of U.S. Bets, and he's been working in the gaming industry for more than 14 years. And a couple of those 14 years were spent living in Costa Rica, which is again under the microscope now due to a possible death of a member of the gaming community. Uh, Adam is here again to talk about that story and more. Adam, welcome back to Gamble On. Hey, thanks for having me again. It's nice to be back. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. Um, And uh, it's not a happy subject, but let's start with the current news. Uh, William Sean Creighton, better known as Tony, the owner of Five Dimes, went missing in Costa Rica on September 25th, and his body was reportedly found last week. But there's a lot of mystery here. Can you shed any light on this story based on your knowledge of Costa Rica? Yeah, and I'll start before I even get into my knowledge of Costa Rica um, with the caveat to all this that everybody I've spoken to that's looked any further into it than what's been reported is saying that they don't think the body that was found was Tony's body. Hmm. So it seems to me that there there are a lot of conflicting reports and uh, no confirmation, certainly from authorities. Uh, And I'm talking to to reporters at well-known publications and also people who are down there who either work or have worked for Five Dimes recently. Nobody believes that he's actually dead. So... It seems to me that there is more more to this story than meets the eye. Yeah. But yes, there is a uh, a big culture of offshore of offshore gambling companies being there on the ground in Costa Rica. It's a popular place for them to set up shop. I think it was more popular 15 years ago, and there are only really a handful of major companies that are still there. But there are still There are still some, and Five Dimes is one of the big ones that's been there for 20-plus years now, and Tony has been the guy there for the better part of two decades. And uh, when this story broke a couple of weeks ago, it was was pretty shocking to a lot of people. Just He's a very well-known person in that expat community down there, and certainly one of the the heads of the industry, if you will. And... uh, there are just there are a lot of details of the story that that seem very strange. Uh, one of which was that apparently his wife sent almost a million dollars in cryptocurrency to some address required by the abductors, who now some are claiming could have been uh, a family member of hers or a family member of his. Uh, the the location where his car ended up was very strange as well. And I don't know, there's there's going to be a lot of conspiracy theories about this, I think, for time to come, because the story just doesn't check out on a number of levels. Hmm, interesting. I mean, certainly, I, I don't know the guy, um, but just from a perspective of uh, generally not wanting to hear that people are murdered, um, I, I, I hope that what you're hearing is correct, and he is still alive, but it's... Uh... Boy, it's uh, going to be interesting to watch the the story unfold. If if indeed there is a lot more uh, to this than meets the eye. Yeah, I think we'll uh, I think we'll know pretty soon. I think that a lot of a lot of people who actually know how to investigate things are investigating it now, right. which uh, probably excludes the Costa Rican authorities, I guess. <laughs> right. But, um, you know, with with bigger publications in the U.S. taking an interest in this and sending down journalists to cover it and to look into it. 
I get the feeling that the truth will come out and that it's going to be different than what everyone thinks right now. Well, that's amazing. Uh, Adam, you know, gambling aside, most of us have never been to Costa Rica or maybe just spent a little time there at a resort and never left the ground. So so what is life actually like for a resident there? And whether it's a native or, or a temporary resident like you were, what, what what's it like in Costa Rica? Well, in some ways, it's, it's a lot the same as it is in the U.S. In other ways, it's different. Um, my wife's actually from there, so I've got uh, multiple perspectives on it because when I moved down there, I was definitely very much in the U.S. temporary resident. I was a, a gringo and in, in the parlance of everybody there, hmm. and uh, and so I was hanging out a lot at like local establishments that are set up specifically for expats, uh, bars and restaurants that had American food or that had. Uh, you know, U.S. sports events to watch on TV or that where you could meet other people who spoke English. And that was useful to me. I didn't speak any Spanish when I moved down there. Um, so there are a lot of people and places that you can go to kind of get a taste of home there. But also um, a lot of things are, are different. There's certainly not uh, as many systems in place to um, to deal with little issues that come up in life that you don't think about much in the States. Like, you know, you want to go get a driver's license. Sure, nobody likes going to the DMV, but I guarantee you after you go get a driver's license in Costa Rica, you will <laughs> love going to the DMV because you can be pretty sure that if you go in there with the documents you're supposed to have, you're going to leave with the driver's license. And in Costa Rica, you could just be there for hours and never even get to talk to anyone that can help you. It's it's different. It's strange. Uh, and so there are things like that that are that are harder. You have to use lawyers for a lot more kind of everyday type of things. And uh, every everyone's really big on paper trail down there. So there's always these big books and signed documents that you have for every little transaction that you do. Uh, so it's a little different in, in some ways, culturally like that. Uh, but it's I think it's a kind of place that you can make work as an expat because there's enough people that speak English and there are good places to eat and good weekend trips to take around the country and and a lot of nice people to meet. And uh, I think people there are very nice and warm. And if you can kind of set aside some of that, some of the frustration with systems not being as advanced as they are in the States, you uh, you can live a pretty good life down there. So that's that's Costa Rican life uh, outside of, of the gambling world. Uh, let's focus on the gambling there. And specifically, I'm a poker guy. You're a poker guy. I know you have some stories about the poker games in Costa Rica and the characters who played in them. Uh, hit us with your best Costa Rica poker story. Sure. Oh, man, it's hard to choose. There have been there were so many good ones. And when I moved down there, uh, there was this really great game at a casino that's no longer there called the White House. And it was a very um, it was a very U.S. friendly place. Some tourists would stay there, but mostly it was just this place in the mountains that people would go up to for the casino or to stay a couple nights. And they had a, a 510 no limit game, which is a pretty decent uh, size game, uh, typically buying in for about a thousand dollars and and by middle of the night most of the people at the table are playing with three four thousand dollars in front of them so the uh the money passing around was was significant it was only in dollars and most of the people playing the game were people from the gambling industry uh, a couple people that worked for poker stars that worked for um some now defunct poker companies that i'm sure everybody's heard of and uh, and sports book type people as well 
and then some other local business owner types. And, and a lot of money changed hands. And eventually the game died because it turned out that half the people weren't as wealthy as they had seemed and were playing on credit from the casino, which they then could not pay. And so um, that game ended. But before it did, a gentleman uh, that was only known to all the rest of us as Russian Mike began playing in this game at some point. And uh, typically the, the table would fill. There would be 10 people playing, but there wouldn't be more than that or maybe just a couple more people hanging around. But on nights that Russian Mike was coming, everyone who played in the game asked to be called if he was going to be there. And so there would be 20 people, maybe 25 hanging around, and there would be the, the Russian mic table, and then there'd be the other table with the people hoping that someone leaves the Russian mic table so they can go play at the Russian mic table. And uh, this guy would sit down, and instead of buying in for $1,000, he would buy in for $50,000, wow. uh, which, you know, big difference. And uh, he would sit there with this giant stack of chips in front of him and would play crazy and, and be all in every other hand. And, and then after a couple hours, he'd get bored and go play blackjack for 10000 a hand or whatever. And uh, he'd lose a bunch of money every day. And he would send his assistant up with a bag of cash the next day to pay the casino whatever he lost the night before. And uh, one day, a particularly big loss. And... Uh, his assistant came back the next day without a bag of cash and asked if he could, if he could just play and try to win it back that night. And they said yes. He came back the next night and lost even more. Uh, rumors are that in total he lost more than a million dollars those two nights. Wow. And uh, was never really heard from again. <laughs> just kind of, um, I don't think they did anything to him. I think he was a, a kind of connected guy if you kind of catch my drift. Right. But uh, he just stopped going and they never got paid as far as I understood. And, and he just kind of went on a new spot to hang out. So that's the kind of uh, interesting and odd stuff that would happen down there from time to time. Right. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Adam, can you tell me, and I don't know if you thought about this, but, you know, uh, again, most Americans have never lived uh, abroad for more than, you know, a week or a month or whatever. Uh, so in a perfect world, uh, have you ever thought about another country you'd like to reside in with your entire family or are your wayward days over? <laughs> That's a good question. I think uh, if my wife had her way, we would be headed right back down to Costa Rica to to stay down there. Uh, she likes she likes it a lot and still feels like home there. Um, I, I think that uh, in a perfect world, if I didn't have to uh, be close to anybody else, the place that I've been that I would love the most to live is Spain, and particularly Barcelona, I think is just a beautiful and incredible place in so many ways. But I do think that sometime in my life, when our kids are probably a little older, we'll end up at least spending part of our year in Costa Rica, Hopefully the winter. I like uh, getting away for the cold months. So I can see us doing that sometime in the future. Cool. Good stuff. Uh, well, thanks uh, very much for uh, joining us, Adam, becoming our first uh, two-time guest. And uh, I am eager, when you become our first three-time guest, to hear your second-best Costa Rica poker story uh, the <laughs> next time you're on. So I'm, I'm glad you know we, we saved a few things for, uh, for the next appearance. But uh, we appreciate you uh, coming on Gamble On again. It's always uh, fun to talk to you. Yeah, it was awesome. Thanks. All right, thanks, Adam. Two men. Two men. $10,000. Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the Gamble On bankroll.
Okay, we'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but we start, as usual, with our shared bankroll, where we had another winning week. Uh, First off, uh, the Dodgers eliminated your Brewers, uh, so uh, thanks to your $145 hedge, we officially broke even on that whole thing. It was the sister-kissing situation we feared, but uh, oh well, better than losing money, I suppose. Um, As for new bets... I had the 76ers to cover an 11-point spread in their first home game of the season against the Bulls, and they won by 19, so we won 100 bucks there. I also put $500 on the Rams' money line, a safe bet that panned out. We won another 100 on that. You split your two college football bets from last week as Memphis did not cover, but Purdue did, uh, and then some. You, you should have bet the money line, John. Indeed. <laughs> um, so combined, uh, we lost $10 on the two uh, college football bets. In other updates, I'm happy that my LeBron Lakers parlay got voided because they are off to off to a rough start. He's not looking like an early MVP candidate, uh, nor are they looking like a candidate to hit the over on wins. Uh, our Browns bet had a bad week. Our Dolphins... <laughs> I know. Sorry. Another heartbreaker. <laughs> um, our Dolphins oh. bet had had a good week, but we're still in trouble on that one. Uh, and my Eagles NFC East bet had a bad week. Mm. Um, but the bright spot in our futures bets every week, uh, Todd Gurley's MVP campaign took another step forward, another three touchdown week and another Rams victory. It's now looking like a three man race between Mahomes, Breeze and Gurley. Uh, of course, we got Gurley at plus 1800. He's now all the way down to plus 600. And we might have to start considering a small hedge soon. But for now, uh, riding it out, feeling good. All in all, we are down exactly $10 after 11 <laughs> weeks of placing bets. Uh, plus, we have $1,520 locked up in futures bets. Uh, so that means we have 8470 available to bet with this week. And you're up first, John. Well, I'm going to start with college football again. Uh, the game everybody's talking about, and by that I mean the game nobody's talking about. Uh, Arizona <laughs> State getting six and a half from USC. Yeah, you're not uh, you're not looking at New Year's Day teams here, but uh, right. uh, the Trojans are so badly banged up at uh, quarterback. Uh, there's a good chance they start a third string quarterback, which you never see. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have no business giving up almost a touchdown against a competitive team with uh, basically nobody up front there. So that's uh, is that the old the standard yeah, 100, 110 100, to yeah. win 100? One of those. Yeah, OK. Yep. OK. Um, well. For my first bet this week, there aren't many podcasts out there where you can hear uh, experts hand out picks on women's boxing, uh, but that's just part of what makes Gamble On so special. Uh, Two years ago, uh, and you can look this up on YouTube, the proof is there, I was ringside in Coney Island for the first fight between featherweights Heather Hardy and Shelly Vincent. Uh, I was the ringside scorer for NBC's broadcast of the fight. It was an excellent fight. Hardy won a close decision. This Saturday at the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden, they're having a rematch. And Hardy is a minus 152 favorite at FanDuel Sportsbook. And I think she's the right bet, not because she's a clearly superior fighter, but because of boxing politics. Uh, Hardy is a New Yorker. She's undefeated. She's the bigger name in part because she crossed over to MMA. She is the more traditionally attractive female, and I'll leave it at that. But suffice to say, that stuff matters uh, when it comes to marketing fighters. Uh, And that's the bottom line. She's the marketable one here. This fight is almost certain to go the distance, and I just don't see Hardy losing a decision in New York unless Vincent really dominates her. So... I'll be betting $152 to win 100 on Heather Hardy. Uh, Eric, I'm, I'm showing my old curmudgeon uh, self again. Uh, women's boxing, I <laughs> just just how I was raised and, and my my dad was raised. I, I 
I just, I can't, I can't do it. I'm you got to you, you gotta get out of the past, John, and embrace I, uh, women punching each other in the head. That's, <laughs> that's, 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 that's the direction we're headed in. All right. So since I'm doing <laughs> fairly well in college football, but not, uh, not awesome, uh, I'm going to stick with just a hundred again. Uh, Navy getting 21 and a half, uh, mm-hmm. versus Notre Dame, uh, games in San Diego. So that's pretty friendly turf for the, uh, for the midshipmen for sure. And, uh, like Arizona state, they, they don't get blown out. So, uh, 21 and a half is a nice number. And I think they'll uh, sneak in there. I'm not going money line on that one either. And I hope I won't bet <laughs> that too. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I guess that would be a pretty enormous upset. I can't imagine what they are on the money line line without looking it up but if they're a 21 and a half point underdog they've got to be uh well over plus a thousand uh on the money line i would think but uh look at purdue last week i had they, they uh, covered by six scores as they say in, right. in the broadcast <laughs> <laughs> yep uh all right uh moving on to uh, our final bet this week i know that betting unders is no fun uh but that's why the over under lines are often a point or two too high because the books know people like to bet the over to me, 53.5 is just a tad high for the Chiefs-Broncos game this weekend, and I'll explain why I think that. The first time they played this season, the final score was 27-23 Kansas City, a total of 50 points, and that was with the benefit of two late touchdowns by the Chiefs. Denver doesn't have an explosive offense. There's no reason to think they're going to do significantly better than 23 points the second time around. What was notable about the first game was how effective Denver's running game was. They averaged 7.2 yards per carry, If they rely on the run here, that chews up clock and keeps the score down. And also, Kansas City's offense, uh, spectacular offense most of the time, they were reasonably well held in check uh, against Denver the first time around. Kareem Hunt had a big game, but Patrick Mahomes had his second lowest yardage of the season, and Tyreek Hill did next to nothing. Um, This is not a pick I'm making with a ton of conviction, but you have to find small edges in sports betting. And to me, they scored 50 last time. That should be the projected total this time. I'm going under 53 and a half, uh, betting 110 to win 100. Uh, and uh, by the way, as we learned last week, if it's a blowout, Andy Reid isn't going to run it up in the fourth quarter. My condolences to the betters who had the over in the Chiefs-Bengals game last week. That was a bad beat. Yes, it was. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And we wrap up with the Fast Five. Uh, After week six, you were 17 and 13. I was 11, 17 and 2. And it was a weird week seven. Uh, I had some injury scares and bad beats, including a backdoor push. But you had the same backdoor push and an even rougher week than I did. I I finally beat you in a head to head uh, with the Patriots routing the Bears. Uh, So I went. 2-2-1 2-2-1 two, two, and one on the week, whereas you had a rare losing week going 1-3-1, and one. Uh, but you're still comfortably in the lead at 18-16-1. I'm sitting at 13-19-3, and, and you're up first this week, John. Uh, routing the Bears, yes. The, the Bears caught <laughs> caught a pass on the one-yard line as time expired to lose by seven points. So <laughs> that's, a, that's a route. Okay, let's move on. I, I can't get out, away from last week quick enough so let's do that okay <laughs> uh bears minus bears minus six over the jets uh it's a four and three team against a three and four team uh, supposedly so i'd hope for a slightly better line but uh the jets running back below powell is now for the season and the jets they're just not that uh distressed being three and four they're they're rebuilding their quarterback is raw but pretty good sam darnold so uh, things are looking up for them uh but you look at the bears i mean they, they could be seven and oh, uh, they they have to win this one and they will. And I think they'll do it comfortably uh, sticking in New Jersey. In effect, um, 
Giants plus one against the Redskins. Uh, I hope to do better here too. You got a four and two and a one and six team, but uh, the Giants are overdue for a dead cat bounce game. Uh, but all the pressure's off. They made trades. It, it's it, the the air's out of the balloon, and the Redskins franchise has no idea what to do with five and two. I mean, last time they were six and two a dozen years ago, they finished eight and eight. Uh, four and three is just way more in Daniel Steiner's comfort zone, whether he knows it or not, and that's where they wind up on Sunday. Uh, number three, uh, Packers getting eight and a half versus the Rams. Uh, I had to take the Rams last week against the decimated 49ers. Uh, there's no way they were not going to cover there. And I got that's that was my one win. Um, but I've been waiting to short them at some point, And now is the time. Uh, they're fat and happy at seven and oh, they're facing a hungrier team. Uh, I get more than a touchdown with Aaron Rodgers. Uh, this could be an outright upset. We're talking about money line. Uh, it wouldn't shock me. The Rams are not they're not Bill Belichick, uh, Tom Brady obsessed with going 16 and oh, they're very pleased where they are and somebody's going to take them out uh fourth the ravens pick them about the panthers um there's a home team with two silly miracle wins over the giants and the eagles lately uh they know they're not this good uh ravens have uh, been impressing me they're establishing themselves as being that good and little little feisty little frisky off a weird loss to the saints on sunday so i like the ravens pick them uh and finally last one is uh lions minus two and a half against the seahawks uh seattle doesn't scare me and uh, the field goal win is just too alluring to pass up all right well we have one shared pick and one head-to-head uh and as for the three that you picked that i'm not on at all uh, i will say I, I was on leaning toward the same side of each of those three as you did but i didn't make them any of my picks uh i have to say i'm probably jinxing myself here but i feel good about this week and uh, I'll, I'll just note you know we use the opening lines at westgate uh i th- i found five that i feel pretty confident in but we shall see. Uh, the first one up is the one that we have in common. I'm taking the Lions at home, giving two and a half against Seattle. I like that extra half point. I might stay away if it was three, but at two and a half, uh, that's that's the books giving Seattle too much credit uh, and the public being slow to grasp that the Seahawks uh, aren't an elite team anymore. They're very average, whereas the Lions are starting to click. Uh, Carryon Johnson is getting the opportunity he deserves. I like Detroit as a short home favorite. Um I also like a pair of short road favorites, and the first one up here is uh, is where we will butt heads. I like Washington uh, giving one point against the Giants in New York. Uh, to me, the Giants are, are in disarray, uh, dead cat bounce or not. Uh, I, I just uh, I, I just don't uh, don't see them getting their act together. Uh, I think the the skins are competent enough to take advantage of whatever's going on with this Giants team. Um, I also love the Colts as one and a half point favorites on the road in Oakland. John Gruden has pretty well announced that he's playing for the number one draft pick, whereas Indy remains alive. Uh, even at two and five, they're alive in the mediocre AFC South. Um, I'd probably bet the Colts here, even if they were three or four point favorites. So I'm, I'm happy to jump on him at one and a half. Uh, my last two picks are a couple of big underdogs. Um, I told you already that I'm taking the under on total points in Chiefs Broncos. And I like Denver to keep it reasonably close. Nine points is just a little too much in my view. They nearly beat the Chiefs at home a few weeks ago. I don't see them getting blown out in Kansas City. And my last pick, your Cleveland Browns uh, are a team that doesn't get blown out. Six out of seven games so far have been decided by four points or fewer. 
They are seven and a half point dogs in Pittsburgh. That extra half point beyond the touchdown makes this a solid bet to me. Uh, I don't expect the Browns to win outright. Uh, I do expect them to cover, even though, uh, yes, I will admit the Steelers are a better team at home than on the road. Uh, So I have Lions, Redskins, Colts, Broncos, and Browns. One head-to-head and one shared pick for us. Mm -hmm. And that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to all of you out there for listening. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan and follow US Bets at US underscore bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, I hand it over to you to take us out. Okay, Eric, until next time, gamble on. <laughs>